This thing is the very nature of negativeness in mankind. It exists in every inclination toward hatred and in every tiny desire that would threaten the conscience of man, that part of man that seeks God and good. This spirit, which can only be referred to as it, uses sexuality to hold morality hostage. Its reason for being is to seduce the subconscious, the conscious, yea, the very soul, so that it might remain in a fallen, lustful state of existence. It incarnates in the flesh periodically to prey on the weak-minded by imitating the very spirit of its victim, its adversary, for the purpose of seducing and destroying that soul. In the game of sensual manipulation, it is unrivaled. She could only achieve a real victory through the destruction of a truly innocent person, someone like your Joel, who is the very last of his ancestral line left alive to teach what is right. It's an ancient demon. And its name is Temptation. What's going on, everyone? I'm Heath. And I'm Jay. And you're listening to Host of Horror, show where we discuss and review horror films based off of predetermined themes of the month. Jay! <laughs> this movie was confusing. This movie, well, I won't say confusing, but. That first half was pretty confusing. Don't, this movie that we just watched is very confusing. And I'm, ooh, I am so sorry. I just had a, um, a soda. And I'm just, I'm getting all of the burps. This is why you don't drink soda before we start doing a podcast. God damn it, Jake! Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> don't tell me how to live my, my life. <laughs> I can make my own decisions. <laughs> I can make my own decisions. Now, you sound like Joel. <laughs> oh, yeah. Speaking of, so the movie we watched today is none other than 1990s Death by Temptation. D-E-F, Jam by the Temptation. Yeah. Def, Def Jam by the Temptation. Yeah, it is, it's actually a, what I could tell is basically a passion project of James Bond the third Because he not only wrote it, he produced it, he directed it, and he starred in it. And you know what, though? I eat movies like this shit up. Like, I... I'm here for a passion project because I want to do a passion project for a, a feature film one day. And mad respect, mad respect to anybody who can get the money to basically film a passion project and just try to get it off the ground. I I'm here for it. And snap snaps to that but yeah and yeah it looks like he did a lot of it himself like it's a trauma film only in name i feel like because it doesn't Thank feel like trauma god. it doesn't look like trauma uh Thank god yeah thank god because i hate trauma I'm, I'm just gonna throw I, that out there i really don't like trauma um no <laughs> all right so this film is I honestly, I'm still trying to wrap my head around what to say about it because it's very, it's very, it's almost like it's both of his time and speaks to 
so much that I guess you could say about the black community at large. But this is also like very campy and very just like you don't have to take it seriously, but you can if you want to. So I I had a bit more fun out of it than I was expecting. And my expectations were like absolutely zero because this is going in, in blind. I was going in very blind with this one. Yeah, I only knew the plot. And just going off the plot, I expected like a really good time. And I'm going to be honest, like the first half, I wasn't having that great of a time. I was like, okay, this is okay. It's nothing special. Whatever. It's This is probably going to be a short review. Then that fucking second half comes out of goddamn nowhere. And I'm just like, yes, thank you. This is what I was expecting from hearing Samuel L. Jackson in a 1990s role as a preacher <laughs> fighting a succubus. This is what I wanted. <laughs> Yeah, so basically looking into this film, yeah, of course it was written, directed, and produced by James Bond III, also stars in it. He he is Joel. He's Joel, and also I was not, I was not expecting him to look the way that he looked. No, no, I didn't either, like he looks- So normal. He looks super normal, but like- uncannily normal like he looks just like his part like the the role he plays he looks like someone who is learning to become a pastor yeah he he looks looks like a fucking deacon he (laughs) looks like a pastor's a religious family's like (laughs) protege and honestly through and honestly based off like the story because he wrote it so you know some of his life experience came out on the final product i genuinely feel like that kind of battle with faith in the movie that we get was his own internal battle i i genuinely get that from the writing of this movie like i feel like he was taking his personal experiences and putting it in movie form Mm. oh oh okay so another more trauma shit apparently I just found out that according to a commentary track, Lloyd Kaufman actually uh, DP'd a couple of reshoot scenes and basically was like trying to replicate uh, Ernest Dickerson's. Also, another Ernest Dickerson. Yeah, a boy's back. Love him. He, it was photographed by him. Photographed. Was, I love that. I love that. It was photographed. <laughs> it was by... before cinematography had a term. <laughs> <laughs> so he was the cinematographer on it. And. We're going to get into that later, but after I finished it. So, basically, Ernest Dickerson, you know, he DP'd it. But I think for reshoots, Lloyd Kaufman had to, like, do some shoots. And I think that's where he came in. Or more so where Kaufman... Where they, that's where the trauma, like, esque stuff came yeah, in. Cause, came in yeah, because... Yeah, because, like, that opening scene with the bartender, just the, the dialogue he was having about, like, telling a woman to get an abortion and oh my god and you know him running and that that evil dead style camera coming after him where you see his big ass long dangling oh that so, screams trauma to me okay so actually while we're t- while we're on the subject let's get into the plot because that first that first freaking um scene was like okay this is a trauma film through and through so starts out with uh old boy like he's a uh 
I thought he was gonna be the main person. Yeah, I thought he was. That, ja- I thought he was James Bond the third. Yeah, I thought he was James <laughs> Bond the third. So I was like, okay, cool, because he looks like a suave James Bond as character, and it just does goes uh, while the credits play and the conversations going while he's doing that. I was like, okay, cool, whatever, and then. You he uh was it he lights a cigarette I think yeah so he's basically trying to hook up with this chick on the phone and uh at the same time he's delivering a drink to this woman mm-hmm. well the woman kind of gives him this eye and he's like all right bet hangs up the phone lights her cigarette and this is where they have like a little conversation and, and this comes back later that's the only reason why I'm bringing it up mm. and she's like you know you should really cuz he lights it with a match mm-hmm. her cigarette she goes you know you should really use a lighter the flame lasts longer. longer uh so anyway basically she picks him up and he goes back to her house Light. where they have freaky sexy fun time man when i tell you I was like, okay, this is trauma, but I was like, starting to feel it. I was like, okay, I knew this was going to be a trauma film, so there's going to be some some kind of shit happening. But I think I was a kind of a big fan of how that started, the scene started, because it was very, like, continuous, and it was, like, a, a, like a long-winded shot. Yeah. And it honestly kind of feels both, like, Dickerson and Kaufman were, like, right there. It, together in the, the, in those scenes because it feels like it's both their works kind of like colliding in that scene. The only thing I don't like about it is it just it screams softcore porn. Like it really does. Like hella hardcore and it kind of just took me out of it for hardcore, a minute. Hardcore softcore. See, hardcore softcore. I I was thinking that that scene was beautifully shot and with the whole set design of that room alone. Oh, the set design's oh, really it was good. Very pretty. The whole movie, the set design's really good between her home, the nightclub, and uh, Kay's home when we finally see mm-hmm. it. Even um the grandma's house where uh Joel starts his story. Mm-hmm. Even that I mean the you could tell the personality of each home. Oh yeah. Um and it goes to show like a lot of like, you know, a lot of like black homes. They're all gonna have some kind of character. They, there's no like it's like almost like nothing. Just like you can tell the per like the characters. You can tell the characters based off just the way the houses look alone. Yeah, basically, and, and that works so well. And I like the fact that they paid attention or uh uh took attention to detail into uh, account when it mm-hmm. came to little things like that. So I appreciated that. Um, so anyway, bartender, bartender and temptress have a little freaky sex going on and they end up getting into the shower, which looked like the most awkward makeout uh. ever. Like, cause she's getting like, she's getting rained on essentially with her hair kind of getting in her face while he's getting rained on in the face while they still have to have sexy time makeout. It was weird because like, Baby, those back in the late 80s, early 90s, big hair, everything. And <laughs> I was like, um, this is a lot of hair. But leads into the shower, eventually turning into blood. Yeah, it starts It starts raining blood on them. And yeah, it goes to like blood and all of that. Although I do love that blood. I love that color red and blood. It, it reminds me of Hammer Horror so much. And I just, I love it. It's the same thing with Bones. Bones had that same colored red for blood. And it's just, mwah, I love I that color. I feel like I saw a video about like the why the blood is like that. 
and I, I gotta find it. God, I just, I don't know, something about it, it just, you could do realistic blood, and you can do, like, non-realistic blood, like, there's some war movie that Nick Cage is in, and the blood looks almost fucking orange, it, it just, it's off-putting, but then you got real blood, and you're like, okay, it's blood, but it's, it's nothing eye-popping. Mm-hmm. When you have something that looks like fucking paint, it just, you're immediately focused on it, and it just... To me, it screams Hollywood blood, and mm. I, I I don't know why. I really dig it. it I dig eye popping, uh, eye popping blood, eye popping blood. I love that <laughs> shit. Um, so, but the, that leads us into the Evil Dead chase scene. The Evil Dead chase scene, where like, yeah, you see old boy in the nude, mind you, like you can tell that that they just did not give any kind of fucks about a rating system at all. Well, it's trauma. So it's also trauma. Yeah. Trauma so didn't give a shit. Also, I think this film, I don't even think this film is rated. Like, let me see. Is this film? No, it's not even rated. There's no rating for this film. As far as I see. Yeah. I mean, so like we have an unrated film. Do we saw full dick and ball sack? Mm-hmm. Like you saw like old man, like in the nude, just like running to his death. And you have, like I said, the Evil Dead chase scene where it's like, it goes towards him and he's like screaming. And then all of a sudden you have, bam, on the other side of the door, blood just kind of like started forming on the side under the, um, under the door. And he's like, well, this, uh, really did set the tone for what this movie is about. It really did set the tone for what this movie is all about. So I was like, okay, we're we're there. This is trauma. Like I keep saying it's trauma because this is exactly how I felt. Okay, this is a trauma film. All like reality is out the window for me. Like, let's go. Let's mm. Yeah, and I felt the same way. Like watching the opening scene felt very trauma to me. Even a couple of other sex scenes that we get with her killing her victims uh felt very trauma very trauma y to me. However, when you really get to the meat of the story where it comes to like Joel's uh, predicament, when it comes to like Kay and Dougie and all mm-hmm. that, that's when you can tell it's a completely different story. I honestly feel like it, I, I just feel like it's the difference between Kaufman and, and Dickerson because when you look at this film, it screams, it feels like a Dickerson film. Like, he has his own style based on, like, all the stuff that he's done with Spike Lee and his own efforts. You can tell that, you know, he knows how to run a fucking camera. And yeah, and he's just a cinematographer for this one. Like, this was one of his first gigs, really. Mm-hmm. Like, and, but you could, Jesus, the lighting in this movie is so good. Mm. Oh, the blues and the reds. It just, mm. So, another thing that caught my eyes, like, after the fact, I realized that a lot of the actors, like, even with Samuel Jackson in, in an early movie, a lot of these people are from a lot of Spike Lee's joints. Mm-hmm. So, you can tell there's maybe, like, a small Spike Lee influence on this film via Dickerson. And maybe a little bit of, like, I don't say Cosby-ish, but that's only because, like, Kay is uh basically Dwayne from a different world, which I didn't realize until like after I saw the credits. I was like, oh. And with Bill Nunn, who's Dougie, I, I, I was like, I know this face. I know this face. And I was telling Heath, I was like, 
ain't that Radio Raheem? And as it turns out, it was Radio Raheem from Do the Right Thing. So I'm like, there's the Spike Lee influence right there. So I think this is kind of like a passion project for one of the dudes from, um, you know, one of the Spike Lee dudes want to be like, all right, I want to make my own film. Well, and that's kind of what it came from. I don't know, because I feel like his uh, Do the Right Thing came out after this, didn't it? But his uh, Spike Lee had another film, School Days, that came out before. Okay, yeah, because uh, James Bond was in that one. Mm, he I know was in that. that one, and I think Dickerson... Did Dickerson do that one as well? He may have. Dickerson's may been have. with Lee for a, a good hot minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, basically with that, that's kind of how I think. Every, yep, there's another. Yep, yep, yep. Dickerson did do, indeed uh, photograph that so, one. So yeah, um, we, what we, does it lead to next? It really just leads to. I mean, you kind of get that weird backstory flashback with uh, uh, Joel, with Joel that makes no fucking sense. Like it confuses the shit out of me, and it doesn't make sense until the very end of the film. So it irked me, but like. You have Samuel L. Jackson, who I was looking forward to seeing in this movie. I really was looking forward to seeing him in this movie. <laughs> He's giving a sermon, but there's no one in church except for a little baby Joel. Mm-hmm. And way in the back of the pews, there is this woman in black. This woman in black, and he's like... Why are we doing another retelling of Woman in the Black <laughs> in the 90s? What is this? <laughs> but So uh, Samuel L. Jackson keeps giving his sermon. And as he's giving his sermon, the woman in black gets closer and closer to baby Joel mm-hmm. and ends up getting to the point where she's like wrapping her hands around his head and throat. And that leads to Samuel in, I think it's like his wife or some, some mm-hmm. woman. No, that's his wife, I think. It, no. It's not stated. It's not stated whatsoever. I just assume it. I'm assuming because it's Joel's either, uh, mom because Samuel Jackson is his dad, but yeah. it's not stated. It's not stated at all. But you can but, assume. But, but basically, he goes. He's uh, saying, "Hey, you're gonna go with your live with your grandma for a bit." Yeah, they're and, driving away, and um, Joel's like, "Is something wrong?" <laughs> like, <laughs> like Joel, like Joel realizes, like he sounds like a smart kid. He realizes, like there's something off. Like, why am I all of a sudden staying with my grandma? Like, what's going on here? So well, like, that and his dad's, like, in the middle of the night speeding down a, a dirt road. With his, or, like, uh, an old country road. I think with wife and toe, and I think that's after Joel leaves. No, well, they're, they're, they're on their way. And then there's the woman in black that appears in the middle of the road. And, and the wife is like, stop, you're going to run her over. And Samuel Jackson's like, like, I don't give a fuck. Run this bitch over. <laughs> and you but can, she- it feels like, it really feels like thinking about it. That there was a previous connection between the woman in black, the temptress, and Samuel Jackson's character. Well, that yeah, feels like it's almost like one of these weird ass prophecy things. And I'm like, he must have to do something real fucked up for this JoJo ass shit to start. Yeah, because this is giving like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Phantom Blood, like all over. Like, well. <laughs> Like it really is because <laughs> it well it's later revealed that Joel is the last of a bloodline. So if he's the last of the bloodline, that means Samuel Jackson's part of that bloodline. So there's your connection right there because he's about to run the woman in black over, but the wife's like no and grabs the steering wheel, causing the car to flip over mm-hmm. and killing both the mom and Samuel Jackson's character. So Joel's the last of this bloodline. And uh, damn, it's just damn. <laughs> <laughs> and basically is going on camera if i'm going to like cut 
to like a whole different scene or what but it's like with that it goes towards you know joel living at his grandma's house and she's basically like hardcore christian basically i think as a result of everything i think even prior they were trying to basically essentially groom joel to basically follow in his father's footsteps of being a minister Mm -hmm. of being a world-renowned minister and you can tell that you know he has a very rigid set of morals because of the upbringing that he got and his grandmother basically is like is um giving him advice yeah she's she says um when you're faced with a crossroad to make sure you look both ways and that's when you know especially when you know when you're close to achieving your goals yeah and that's actually that was very solid pretty good advice i mean Mm -hmm. i kind of like it uh like the it, yeah. But it leads Joel to kind of reconsider being a minister. He wants to experience a life outside of the ministry because he's been a sheltered kid this entire time, which leads him to calling his friend Kay, who lives in New York, to go visit him and kind of just hang out for a little bit while he figures things out. I honestly thought that he was um his brother. I guess they keep they, had, they, they keep a... saying it, but there is a moment in the movie where Kay uh, or Joel mentions that Kay was part of the ministry at one point, mm-hmm. and he left to go be an actor. So I think that's where the brother relationship comes from. Yeah, and you know how we, you know, we black folks, we he... know like do play brothers. Like, oh yeah, that's my brother. Wait, yeah. not really brothers, like a family friend, but you know that's my brother. Yeah, because if Kay was actually biological brother, he'd be part of the bloodline, mm. which he's not. Yeah. So man. It gets the JoJo references get deeper and deeper. <laughs> so would that th- would the temptress be Dio? Basically, the temptress would be exactly be Dio. The woman in black is Dio. Dio, Dio, Kono Dio da. Um. <laughs> so no, I with- love watching. I love watching the uh the dubbed version of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure only because the first one, like the Phantom Mask, I think it Phantom is Phantom Blood. Phantom Blood. They're British, and I just love Dio. <laughs> Dio, I cannot believe you've done this. And it's like, <laughs> 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 um, it kind of goes into the first part about how. Jojo's Bizarre Adventure kind of gives horror, like horror, but light horror. But that's another conversation for another day. Only in the first one. Only, only the first oh, one. Yeah, only, I, the first, only the first one. But like, yeah. it gives like horror esque stuff. But yeah. that's a, another topic for another day. Yeah, that's for host of anime. Hey. Anyway, so. so but yeah, and I think there's this one scene where before he leaves, that you, I think it closes in. It really put uh, pushes in on the woman in black that's outside yeah he keeps having visions about the woman mm -hmm. in black and it feels like the visions are connected to the temptress in itself because i want to say that the first uh the first victim was in her was in his vision as well when he was getting up, I think. I don't know. Well, uh, that's later. Okay, that's that much, later. much later. But yeah, um, but yeah, these visions right now is just it's him running away from something. So, like, you have a mist in an alleyway, he co- emerges from the mist, so out of the fog, out of mm. the unknown, and he's running from something. So, he's running from the unknown, uncertainty, mm. and the woman in black is there. So to me, it's kind of a metaphor of he doesn't know how his life is going to be 
once he takes the ministry job or like what his life could have been if he didn't become a minister. And the woman in black who is the temptress is basically that temptation of Mm. leaving something like being a minister. Running away from temptation. Or running towards temptation Uh in this case because because of the visions, that's where he gets the idea to go to New York. And man... I really feel, uh, I low-key feel for the grandma, though, because I'm like, she may be strict, but I feel like she knows a lot more than she lets on. Yeah, dude. Which I feel like, you know, comes in like in play way later, but she knows way more than she lets on about a lot of shit, and I'm like, that's probably the reason why he was so, so sheltered for so long, so I was like, uh-huh. So, I re- also really did like the little transition scene, though. To where um, we were heading to from New York, and I think it was like he was taking a bus from, you know, from North Carolina to um, New York. And I'm like, oh, so he's also like that, leaving the country life, the small town life for the big city and the temptations of the big city. So I think that was kind of a parallel as well to all the bullshit that's going on as in this film as well. Yeah. That's like one of the themes I've, I've, I've kind of picked up on is like, you're running away. You're trying to like experience the big city, the big <laughs> world. So it's, yeah. So while all this is happening, you, you get a couple of more to the body count. The temptress kills a few more, um, which and- <laughs> again, I, I really think that's Kaufman's idea. Like every time you see the victims dying, I really feel like that's Kaufman's idea because in my head, if you're just doing a story, right? Mm-hmm. Him showing up and meeting the temptress is a little more interesting than you knowing she's an evil temptress right off, right out the gate. I mean, I feel like I agree because it's like if you think oh she's just trying to get some dick, and it's like okay, but like the more you see it, the more it's like oh, like there's a mission, and it feels like while you know. That, like, they're trying to finish a blood... They're trying to, like, basically defeat a bloodline. It feels like she... The victims are just kind of, like... I don't know. It's just, like, if she was, like, feeding on them or what. Or well, kind of, like... Is there such... Is she, like, sustenance from getting this dick and, like, eat, uh, basically... Because we this, or is she, just, is she just doing this shit for fun? She's definitely getting substance from it, but... I don't know. To me, just storytelling-wise, I think it would have been a lot more interesting to have her introduced when Kay shows up to the club and they kind of hit it off. But it's not, like, the whole reveal when Kay gives... So, Kay goes to the club, meets up with the uh, the temptress, mm-hmm. and she asks for his name. When he gives the name, she gives this look, like, I know who you are. Oh, okay. That let was me, a really good scene. Let me talk about this bitch here. Like, Cynthia Bond... I wish you would do more acting because the way that you acted in this was phenomenal. The the way that everything just worked from like Dickerson's obvious influence on this film to your impeccable use of like body language and especially when you're doing like facial expressions and stuff. Ugh, it it drew me in so much. Most well, girl, you you are really pretty too. So I'm like. <laughs> I, so, I was like, that was really, I just think that she was one of the best parts. Like, she played an amazing villain. Yeah. So, she gets Kay's name, and she basically gives this look like, I know who you are. And from there, she knows that she can get to Joel through Kay. 
Mm-hmm. And and later, uh, Kay brings Joel to the bar and they talk and she acts like she's never met Kay. <laughs> Storytelling wise, I think that would have been much interesting if you didn't know she was a villain. Like, imagine like you just see this beautiful girl talking to Kay and then he tells her her name and she gives that look. And you're like, bitch, why, why are you looking? Why are you looking like that? And then next scene, she's meeting up with Joel and it completely ignores Kay, like never even met him before. And you're like, there's something up with this bitch. But you don't get that nice little, you know, uh, mystery when the opening fucking scene, you realize that she's a killer. So I, I know, really, I, I, I get that. I really think that those parts and because even the cinematography it doesn't have the lighting that the rest of the film does mm. with the three men that she kills. I just, I don't know. Something about it that that to me that was the main thing that seemed like Kaufman did. Okay, I get that. I think I I, don't know, I guess it played to his to advantage in my opinion because it's like okay we all know that she's the villain so I was like okay this is we already know what's up we already kind of know what's going on and just like you're now you're just along for the ride. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I that's my only I I have issue issues with movies when I can tell it could have been done better. Like I, I don't know some it, it that's not, the filmmaker in you. Yeah, I guess. Uh, anywho, um, so yeah, Kay meets up, which I love this scene right here. Mm-hmm. Kay meets up with the temptress, and they have like a little moment, and then it cuts to them dancing on the dance floor, but there's no one there, just blue and red lighting and smoke. Oh yeah, no, that was a very beautiful. That's obviously. <laughs> I'm going to say, you can tell the difference between Kaufman and Dickerson. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Because the way that it transitioned from them dancing to the saxophone player to them in uh, Temptress's bed. Yeah, well, oh. you stick. My favorite thing was, like, you have them dancing, and then it cuts to the saxophone player. But then it zooms out. Like, the, the camera mm-hmm. pans out. And as it pans out, you end up in her bedroom with the saxophone player still playing in the background. <laughs> I so there is this. I think that was the part where he was saying, "Man, they don't make these uh, make films like this anymore." They don't. And this is. I feel like it's very of its time. But now that I'm thinking about it, the film kind of gives like like noir light vibes. Like it, it, it looks like a, a film made in the '70s. Like I even said, mm-hmm. like uh, just listening to the music, the music reminded me of black exploitation, and I was this, there for it. This music was you like. I felt like this also, like, you can tell that they had, like, a music budget or they had people on the music team that are like, hey, we're going to put all of this on here because, like, the soundtrack was banging. Oh, like, so Like, every good. single song, every single part of this soundtrack was a banger, and I need to listen to the soundtrack after this. <laughs> so good. Uh, but it ended up just being a, fa- uh, a fantasy. It wasn't real. Um, she does try to tempt him back to her room, which we all know, okay, she's about to kill him. And he says, no, I can't. I got to go meet my friend. He's coming from North Carolina to New York, and I, I got to be there. And, man, another uh, testament to her acting ability is just the way that she goes from, like, without even really trying so hard, go from happy to, like, pissed. Yeah, but, like, that subtle piss. Like, I'm not going to let you know I'm mad, but I'm mad. And then the music. You can hear the music and just like how like you start to erupt every time she goes into her pissed off face and then depacitate uh, and just be like <laughs> when she goes back to her uh, normal I'll say normal to her happy stuff. Yeah. So I that was a great great use of sound design in that. 
Yeah. And uh, so Kate goes back to his apartment where Joel is there waiting on him. And they actually have a, a good relationship. Like, their friendship in the movie is very fucking realistic. Like, they seem like friends in real life. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that, you know, there's this uh, country boy versus big city kind of, I don't say shift, but kind of like, you can tell that there's like a little bit of a rift, but not really. It doesn't yeah, really it, it, they, they contrast with each other, but mm-hmm. they also meld because they come from the same place. Mm-hmm. Um, another, another thing that I really thought, like I thought was cute was um, Kay constantly accidentally cussing in front of Joel, but then taking it back. Like he'll say, man, don't fucking do that. Don't freaking do that to me, man. It's just, I thought that was adorable. It gives off little brother. Yeah, big little brother, brother, little brother. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was cute. Um, and and another cute moment was uh, shortly after that where Kay uh, basically dogging on his uh, his clothes, his, his fucking pastor boy clothes. His, man, he looked like he looked like an old man. Like right? that's some shit. Some old people with like that's some geriatric shit right there. <laughs> so they had this like cool little like montage of like trying out clothes, and the you can tell that this was like the like the 90s like the transition into like the 90s because it was some very 80s ass clothes from like the 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 uh the really like high up shorts with the long shirts and the uh, jordans the jordans and the uh air forces man and i was like this is this is these are looks like these looks are now classic and it was like dang they were really in like in fashion back in then but it's also like nah <laughs> This is the fact that Kay was dogging on this dude and, like, was trying to get him to, like, dress nice. I'm like, man, this is all, all of this look whack on you. And then come out with this fly-ass suit. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't even think it's, like, a suit suit, but it was, like, you know, with the cool-ass blazer, pants, and, like, a combo like that. And Yeah, because he, he, it was, like, a black turtleneck, and he was, uh-huh. like, wearing the chain with the gray with black stripe uh, man, uh, blazer. Man, why not tell you? Dude, he was looking dope. The... <laughs> turtleneck gold or silver chain combo never fails there's a reason lonely island made a song about it there's a reason there's a a reason for that that's the reason why everybody likes to cosplay that one uh picture of the wayne the rock johnson with the fanny pack and the turtleneck no that's the reason no it reminds me of and it's 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 showing my whiteness but i don't give a fuck you ever seen night at the roxbury no You've never seen Night at the no. Roxbury? What is that? It's a Will Ferrell and some other guy. It's it's a movie and it's just like stupid dudes that try to be cool, but they they, they wear turtleneck and chains and, and like <laughs> the whole thing is them walking down the street bobbing their head to music, thinking they're like super cool. I don't the outfit just screamed uh what Night they at the Roxbury. Yeah, what they wear. <laughs> so it's good. There, there's there's a funny bit in it where like there's a manager that constantly asks one of his assistants if he's tickling his ass, no matter where he's standing. Like no no the assist- the assistant could be at- on the other side of the room and he'll have a conversation with Will Ferrell and then stop mid conversation turn around and go hey did you just tickle my ass I'm over here by the bar sir so did you tickle my ass what <laughs> just, oh, it's, it's a it's, Will- a, fu- it's, it's a funny movie it's a Will Ferrell ass shit anyway the the outfit that he wore reminded me of Knights of the Roxbury so, I'm sorry no you don't have to be sorry 
this also transitions into the gym going to the bar, you know, trying to get Joel to experience a little bit of New York life, even though he's also trying to explain that New York is also wild. I can't remember if it was before or after, but he did it like show off like all this stuff, like the gun and all of that. Yeah, and, he, like the props that he used for like for his movies. But, which, well, it wasn't props. Um, it was real, but it was like, you like know. well, no, like it it was. Um, I feel like it was more like stuff that he's talked about because he he talked about the weapons as if they were for defense. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he calls the, the, the automatic Bertha. gun that he's got, um, a Bertha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He calls it that, but I don't know, like other than that one little scene that we saw at the very, very end on the TV, which we will definitely get to. Cause Ooh. that was my favorite thing ever in this movie. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, to me, it was just like self-defense. And he has like a line where he's like, yeah, no, the movies are one thing, but the dangers in real life are much mm-hmm. more serious. Um, so, but yeah. You can tell that you can de- you can tell that he's trying to protect them. And I, and I appreciate that. Yeah. But so they're they, at the bar and it goes into this like cool little long take of um of Joel and Kay like trying to find a woman. And then like, I think I wasn't really really paying attention but i'm pretty sure like as they're talking she just kind of like come up no 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 no. joel shows up and is like hey i just met a woman and Kay is like are you serious i left you for two minutes and you already got a woman you got a woman without me and joel's like yeah yeah she's really sweet she's really nice oh here she is right here and the temptress walks up and Kay's like oh really hey how's it going and the temptress is like who is you have we met (laughs) <laughs> and he's like bitch you being for real like he even says that several times is she being serious <laughs> so anyway she she brings joel over to her little corner in the bar like her bar seat where and, she always sits at and like obviously Kay is like what the fuck is this and the, joel does not know any any of the better like i like this poor boy is so like i don't even say naive it's like damn it like no, nah, he's, so he's naive. He's naive. Oh, baby. Pole shelter, baby. But Oh, and then we get the not not the introduction, but like we get my favorite character. Alright, we get ah! Dougie. Dougie! Dougie comes in. Alright, so Dougie, no! Dougie, my man, Bill Nunn, Radio Rahim himself. Like, so great in this film. No, he was awesome. The whole time, the whole movie, he's like this dude that just chills at the bar, like like a casual, like a, uh-huh. a, an everyday customer. And his whole thing is he hits on every single woman there. He even spits game when there's no one there to spit game to just because he needs to practice. But the only one he doesn't spit game at is the temptress. Because in his own words, that bitch evil. <laughs> in his own words, I was like, that bitch scared the fuck out of me. I'm like, bet. So... Dougie and Kay, they they basically Dougie's just basically telling Kay like you need to watch out for her like she she ain't right there's something wrong off about her you, mm. you need to get your friend out of here and they have like a little moment when they're back at their apartment where Kay is just kind of telling Joel to you know watch out you know be careful and Joel's like look dude I can take care of myself like you don't have to mm. worry about me and I, if. It goes to show how sheltered he actually is, and I think yeah, because that's some everyone, that's some sheltered shit. Like yeah. you, you don't say you can take care of yourself if you can actually take care of yourself. And yeah, but also with that, he also feels like not only that it, people expect him to like don't think he can take care of himself. It's like it's almost like the expectation of everyone having to be responsible for you is kind of like 
placed on him because of how he sheltered he is and based off his upbringing and his morals and all of that yeah and, and you gotta it kind of sucks yeah and you kind of can see where like he's coming from because the whole reason for this new york trip is to become unsheltered to like he knows he, he in his mind he knows he can take care of himself but he needs to prove that mm-hmm. he um, needs to prove that to himself that he can take care of himself yeah and he just kind of bites off a lot more than he can chew oh, walks in more. right into a fucking prophecy <laughs> so, so it it's the next day and the tempter shows up and they have like a little day date um ooh. but before that happens he so the tempter shows up at Kay's house Joel introduces her again, and Kay's like, yeah, no, we, we've met a couple times now. And Joel has to walk away, get something. And Kay and her have, like, a little moment. He's like, okay, what the fuck are you playing at, bitch? Like, I know for a fact you know we have met before. Like, like we had a whole little moment. Mm-hmm. Like, w- what's your game? And she's like... I don't know what you're talking about. And he gets pissed off. He says, man, fuck this bitch. He turns around, looks at the mirror, kind of just like to cool off. But he realizes there ain't no reflection in that mirror but his own. Mm-hmm. He turns around, mm-hmm. sees her. He turns mm-hmm. around, looks at the mirror, mm-hmm. back at her, and now she's pissed. She's got that that, that look you were that talking look. about. And she's just like... I don't know what, and it, what, what, like, what happens? Like, he, he basically like calls her out about not having a reflection, and she's like, "I don't know what you're talking about, Jay," and like gets that demonic voiceover. Mm-hmm. Is there, is, a, is there a problem? It's like basically, like, is there a problem? Mm-hmm. And then Joel comes back, and her face back to happy, mm-hmm. and they go, they go on a date. He lets Joel go on the date. But no, I, but. It's one of those things where it's like, it's a very precarious situation because y'all already had like a little bit of a conversation about like, oh, I can take care of myself. And as shitty as it sounds, it's kind of like, okay, bet. Like, Jay, if I, 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 Jay, I, I hate that. If you are going on a date with someone and that motherfucker does not have a reflection in the mirror, you don't I'm do not it. letting you leave. But you, but. You can tell that if like that was about that was a friendship that was about to be severed if he doesn't let that boy go. Like they're about to basically he was about to like I think you can tell that he wanted to keep him from going, but it's also like mm-hmm. I would fight you. I would wrestle you to the ground. You ain't leaving. Not on my watch. <laughs> Ooh, he would have been it would have been mad. <laughs> like it would have been mad and it was like I I get it. I see both sides. I see it, but I think at this point it's kind of like, oh, I guess he had to figure this shit out on his own, but like not really on his own. Luckily, nothing bad happened as of yet, thank God. But um, going forward, like the temptress, <laughs> the temptress and Joel go on a little day at the at this little cafe and all of that, and they talk about the the and they just kind of you know doing chit chatting, and then the temptress kind of drops a thing about being a world renowned minister and then joel's all like <laughs> i never say anything about that How oh you, you know just about that? you just give off that type you just look like it and <laughs> like, he's like what okay weird but okay but it's like the facade it's like that facade i thought it was about to break i thought it was about to break because like you know that he's kind of like a little bit on on the strong will side 
but his strong will is based off like his upbringing so it was like trying to like you know keep from doing all of that because they you know he talked about how he doesn't drink you know talk about how fornication is a sin and like you yeah know, which is weird like it you know, he, he's like all fornication is a sin. Not like wait until you're married. Like, how do you think? Southern how Baptists. Do you, how do you think? No, no, no. Southern Baptists are. Trust me, I grew up Southern Baptist. They're you know you wait until you're married. Okay, this I is like I, some. That's my bad for assuming Southern Baptists. But like that is some really like, like that's some, that's some very deep fucking, South church shit. Yeah, because like how the fuck do you expect a population to be formed? Like where do you think you came from, Joel? Like come on. <laughs> no. I think he came from a mommy and daddy who loved each other so much, and that that you know God they held was all hands like, too tight. That God and was a all Joel like, popped y'all out. Fuck y'all, gonna <laughs> <laughs> fucking you're gonna have this baby like like God intended. Oh, we skipped over something. Mm-hmm. Dougie's reveal before no, we Dougie ever was after. No, because remember she has the headache during the cafe because they're talking to old bitch at the the witchy shop. You okay. skipped over Dougie. Oh yeah, I damn. Kay goes to the bar where he meets Dougie, and he's like, yo, man, remember that bitch we were talking about? And he's like, yeah, evil bitch. And he's like, dude, I didn't see her reflection. And Dougie's like, man, I got to oh, tell you no, something. A, no, I didn't skip over because that, that was in around no, 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 no. They were talking about it a little bit about you know, the whole ministry thing, and no, then it cuts to Dougie. No, because they're th- – no, they do the Dougie at the bar, and then we go to the cafe, and then we cut to them walking into the store, then back to the cafe, Man, and then it, talking – all in the same – God damn it, Jay! Era, same, same realm of a scene. God damn it, Jay! <laughs> so anyway – We're talking about it, okay? Anyway oh. – <laughs> Kay, what a fucker. Kay, Kay's like, look, dude, that bitch you said was evil doesn't have a reflection. And he's like, look, dude, I got to tell you something. I'm actually a paranormal investigator, and I had suspicions that she's evil. <laughs> it's like, Dougie, what? It, honestly, this, <laughs> this is the moment where I can say the movie got good. It goes out of fucking nowhere. It comes out of nowhere. But this is the movie. This is where the point where I was like. I, it gets good and honestly this is more dickerson <laughs> shit i feel like because the same shit happened in bones the same shit happened in bones where it's like okay you see one thing and then it shifts genre just like that or like you get this reveal that just changes the trajectory of everything and you're just like this all of this shit comes from nowhere it's a dickerson thing i feel it i i feel it in my bones <laughs> So, no pun intended. There's like this is the Dickerson thing. So to figure out how to take the temptress down, they go to like this shop where uh, there's this, I yeah, guess, voodoo a me- a medium. Not, it's not voodoo. It's, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it, like, it could be voodoo in New York, like psychic median. Like it's like it's like psychic stuff. Like, anyway, like, goes into more shit. But uh, they talk to her, and she's like, the only way to get rid of this demon is through the strong will of the innocent. Yeah, basically, it's like someone who's basically who has a strong will to God that can resist her, that can resist the temptation that comes from her, from the beast. And that, yeah, as she's talking about that, uh, the temptress starts getting a headache. And it's like, I, I have to I have something. to go. Yeah, she's like in the middle of the conversation with Joel, and she's like, I, I gotta go. And he's like, you okay? And it's like, yeah, I, I gotta go. And she runs to the bathroom. Cut back to them, and uh, Kay and uh, Dougie are like, well, neither one of us has a strong will. There, there's gotta be something where we can, like, lay this bitch to rest. Like, can we just, like, douse her with holy, holy water, cut out her steel-beaten heart, and bury it in hollow ground? And Kay looks at Dougie like, the fuck? 
that's how you know he was a paranormal agent because of stuff like that. He just he drops knows. that shit, and as he's saying it, K just looks at him like, "Are, are, are you, you serious? What? Are you dead ass? <laughs> you dead ass be like." That's how you know that he was. He knew what he was doing. He knew he was like part of the, like the part of the uh, the paranormal game, the occult game, because he knew shit like that. He's either that or somebody watched a little bit too much ec- The Exorcist. Yeah, it was like it was like cryptic uh, Men in Black. <laughs> man, man, Dougie as a Men in Black man, man, I can see that shit right now. It's always cool as fuck. But um, I make this look good, right? <laughs> so basically, the medium. Gets That's, possessed. Yeah, there was like a whole moment where uh, the temptress basically, I think, possesses the medium because she felt like felt something going on, and then is like, "Bitch, you fools! You really about to do this, ain't you? No, don't fuck with me." Like, <laughs> what I love is the 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 possessed medium, the temptress as the medium, only gets like a few sentences in before Kay's like, "I'm out," and just runs. Me, <laughs> me. I'm K in this situation. I should have lied. Hold on. Knowing me, I'm like half K, half Dougie. I'm like, this is like a train wreck. I know I don't need to be a part of this, but like, part of me wants to be like, okay, this is, this, this, okay, I see what you're trying to say, but holy crap. He just bounces. And then right after she finishes it, like, she's done and like, like, drops and stuff. Dougie's all like, Okay, now I gotta go. Yeah, now I gotta go. And she comes back uh, to the table and basically is like, I, because at this point I feel like she's weak. Like she's weakened because mm-hmm. of the possession. Because she's like, yeah, I have a really bad headache. I, I gotta get going, but I want to see more of you. So can we like reschedule this or something? And, and then I've noticed also between that, like, you can tell Joel is like, he, like he's like kind of starting to like kind of think about it. Mm-hmm. Think about like the temptation and like I'm not gonna say like lose his will with God, but like he's starting to think about like things in more secular ways. Like maybe I could you well know, hit this, especially after like she kisses him. She's like, "Can we can we reschedule this?" And he kind of hesitates answering, and then she kisses him, and it's like a long kiss. It's a good kiss, and then she like steps back, and he's like, "Okay, yeah, we we could definitely reschedule." <laughs> and man. You can tell that like as he's the is the naivety showing up because like I think I don't think he's smitten, but it's like he really feels something. Well no, it's like when you're in high school and an upperclassman like has a thing for you or like kisses you and you're just like I'm still a virgin. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's that's what it gives me is like older woman coming on to you when you're still like this naive little child. Mm-hmm. Um but anyway uh joel goes back to the apartment Kay's apartment Kay shows up and was like i need to get my knife but before i go you you need to get the fuck out of here joel's like what the hell are you talking about man and he's like no listen to me i met that bitch i know that bitch that bitch ain't got no reflection we, we know you need to get out of here and, and joel basically goes like i cannot believe it <laughs> like his like rational mind mm-hmm. against everyone else's like like out there shit is like Bitch, you've been drinking, haven't you? Of course, of <laughs> Joel's course, been drinking. Of course, Joel's been, uh, JK's been drinking. But it's also like, I think he was trying to write it off. It's just like, oh, you've just been drinking. Like, you don't mean anything. Well, it, it's, a, it's a combination between um, you've been drinking, um, you're jealous, and you think I can't handle myself. You think I need babysitting. 
And so I think it's a combination of all that. I did really, 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 really feel when he was like, don't talk to me like I'm a child. Because, like... Well, because you also got to think, he's a 21-year-old man. 20. About to be 21. About to be 21. But still, though, I mean, it, he's a grown-ass man. Grown man by society standards, yeah. And, yeah, he. I feel like he needs to make decisions for himself. And, like, people have been trying to protect you and for so long and trying to shield you from the world. And it's like, you need to learn the shit for himself. But at the same time, it's like, this, this is the wrong time to figure out shit about yourself. Honestly, if you want to be rude, this is the wrong time. <laughs> or, or right time. I mean, oh, he, no. he, he makes a decision at the end. So. <laughs> I don't think it's the right time. But he makes a decision to do something. But like you can, that also adds on to the brotherly love that these two got for each other. And like, hey, I think just dropped the whole Macho Man facade finally. And was all like, hey, I care for you, dog. I, I need you to go. Yeah. Before you get wrapped up in even more bullshit. Like, yeah, because he does. He's like, look, I got a guy out there that believes me. Me and him are going to go handle some shit. You need you, to leave. You need to go home, please. And then just walks out. And that leaves Joel by himself dropping a tear. And honestly, is I I understand because it's like, dude, I, it may, I guess it makes a lot more sense to me because I've been Joel. In, like, in many situations where, it's like, people, like, were trying to, quote, unquote, like, treat me like a child and shit and try to, like, keep me from, either keep me from making the bad, like, decisions or try to, like, you know, do this and that. And I was like, yeah, no, I can make my own decisions. Let me make my own mistakes. So, that tier, that was, um, if anything else, that was a Razzie win, <laughs> Razzie award winning tier. Like, like he was, uh, that, he tier, that tier was fake. <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give it is is too big and goopy. I'm gonna give him some credit. I'm gonna give him some credit. Nah, but uh, that was that was something. It was a good scene. It was a good shot, though. I'll say that scene. it was a good scene. And so basically, I think this leads to this leads Dougie to Dougie and, and Kay going to the bar to confront old old bitch. Yep. Um. First, they meet the bartender, the new bartender. Um. Because the old one obviously died. Yeah. Uh. New bartender, and it was like, hey, here's some holy water. What you're going to do is you're going to pour this in her drink, okay? And that's all, that's it. That's all you got to do. Just, just pour the holy water. N- newly, freshly blessed holy water. Pour and it in the drink. Also, I think considering how she already has a reputation at this bar, old boy did not hesitate at all. Yeah, no, he really didn't. He was like, okay, bet. I mean, he was a little scared. He was shaking his hand, but he was like, bet, I got this. I think he was more scared of like him almost getting like shot and thinking he's about to get <laughs> mugged rather than, you know, oh, well, I'm about, like, K about to Well, shows up with a goddamn kookery knife. Like, that's a, that's a machete. <laughs> goddamn. I'm like, hi, dude, you're just about to go in front of him instead of just like, anyway. <laughs> so, anyway. So she pours, he pours the holy water in the drink, gives it to her. She drinks it and starts like convulsing like she's she's on the ground having a seizure um like you can tell you can uh tell that like she was about to get the, the beast was about to come out for real oh yeah no it, it, she did a good job acting with that part mm-hmm. too she, she does a really good job for her this is her, her only, only acting role thing. yeah like, like she did that shit did a really good job uh Kay and dougie run in and, and they're going through with Dougie's plan. They're going to cut that heart out and go bury it in hollow ground. Fuck that bitch. However, 
That As they plan. try to do that, bottles start exploding, chairs start moving, and the knife, instead of going towards her, starts turning on Dougie and going towards him, causing Jay to let her go and him to stop Dougie. And that's when she rises up and is like, I'm going to kill both of you. That was an amazing scene. Okay, I w- let's quickly talk about a lot of these transition scenes where she gets up, the blue background against her red, like the all of the red that just like comes from her, that irradiates from her, is phenomenal. And all of the scenes of her, just her eyes with the red uh, light. Mm-hmm. Very phenomenal, very telling of the kind of character she is. And also, whenever that scene happened with the holy water, you can tell that uh, when she looks up, red. She yeah. stares and just like the color just like emanates from her. And, then she go- and it leaves as she looks down. And I really like that use of color in particular. But I just really like the use of the blues and the reds. Oh yeah, in no, this movie like this, they this movie really... looks gorgeous. Like it looks like a '70s film, but it's gorgeous. It's so well done. Part of me feels like it was halfway budget, halfway like, oh, this is like this could work. It's really gonna work, guys. But I just really <laughs> like that. So um, the, they the basically like they leave. Yeah, they run. They're out of there. Uh, but they can't decide which way to go. Which I uh, love this because it's a split up. But it's a natural split up where Dougie's like, we need to go this way. Kay's like, no, nah, we need to go this way. No, dude, I'm telling you, we need to go this way. Nah, bro, I'm telling you, we need to go this way. Okay, I'm going this way. All right, I'm going this way. Okay, be safe, brother. Be safe, brother. And they, they're gone. <laughs> Matt, respect to that scene. And, and then uh, Radio Raheem, my man, Dougie, makes the worst, makes the, the least good decision. And, but it's not his fault because, like car pulls around the corner and it looks like it's about to run into him so he's like oh shit i need to go and he 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 tells down a vehicle and shows his badge and it's like yo i'm a police officer i need to borrow the your i need to get in your car mm-hmm. gets in the car and he's like driver go as it turns out was that was that someone else or was that was the bartender that was the bartender yeah that was the bartender oh he turns around God. and he's holding the bottle of holy water and he's Dougie's like, what the fuck? And he turns, he uh, turns Dougie the, turns and sees the woman in black, the woman in black, but her creature form, the temptress in her creature form. And Dougie gets eight. Dougie, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> Dougie, no. And it goes into something later that I'm like, oh, this holds water. So let's go. I I, I want to I want to get to that scene because I really like that scene too. Oh really? I hated it. I loved it. I loved it because I was like I, I should have known it was going to happen. I should have known. But so um, we cut to Kay. Well no, we, before that we cut to Joel at the Temptress's oh, yeah. place. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because Cause he's like he's like Kay never came back because um, it's the next day. It's during the day and he's like Kay never came back so he's with the Temptress at Aww. this point. And she tries to get him, like, she starts making out with him again. And he's like, can we just slow down for a minute? And she's like, you know what? If we drink, I think it would relax you a little bit more. Let's get a thing of wine. And, like, that's how you know that something's, something's of miss. Because, like, she tried to get the wine. She tried to get it. And then, like, you can, they can see. Well, he, he keeps he keeps saying, no, we're, I'm not going to drink. drink. I do drink. not drink. And she's like, just keep drinking. And he's like, no, I don't fucking drink. And she's like, okay, I'll drink. She starts stirring the wine with her fingernail, mm-hmm. sticks the fingernail, and like sticks her finger in his mouth forcefully and 
boom, he's been drugged. Actually, they make out. Oh, oh yeah, she drinks the wine and he then makes it, out. Then, That's and, it, okay. And the kiss is forced, but then he's like, ah. Then he's like, oh. Yeah, so she drugs him. <clears throat> he's been drugged. And man. And then we get to my favorite scene. I love this we scene. We cut to Kay, right? <sighs> Kay slowly, slowly walks in. and To his apartment. His apartment. And it's like, he doesn't hear uh, Joel. So he's kind of like slowly walking and making sure everything's okay, copacetic. Mm-hmm. He uh, gra- first thing he does is he grabs a forty, grabs he's, his uh, favorite bottle of Colt forty. He's had a long day, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, the shit you've seen, I'd be drinking too. <laughs> so he grabs it, and then he starts to hear something. So he slowly, slowly grabs the one of the knives above him. Yeah, like a kitchen knife. And he, like, one of the kitchen knives, yeah, and goes to his room. He goes to the uh, gets the living room. Honestly, because sitting is near is like his the only room other than the kitchen. Um, yeah, because he can hear the temptress's voice, mm-hmm. but he's also hearing his own voice. So like one of his audition tapes is playing, but there's also the temptress mocking him. Uh huh. And he was all like, I was like, why are you going? He was going towards the TV, and I was like, why are you going towards the TV? Uh, honestly, Ugh. I'm it. It shocked me. Like, this was actually a good, because I thought the Rick, uh, Richard Nixon blow-up doll thing that he's mm-hmm. got in the back of the TV, I thought that was going to jump out and get him. Oh, my I God. I genuinely was looking for that to happen. Oh, but no, he gets to the TV, and on the audition tape, uh, he, uh, Kay is, like, up on the uh, camera. Wait, that's with- not Nixon, it's Reagan. Was Reagan? It was Reagan. Oh, whatever. It, my presidents, I don't know. They're all Caucasian. There's just there's just one that's not. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But um, anyway, so, this scene was all the so way crazy. Good. So like, uh, I'm I'm expecting presidential blow up doll to attack, but no, he gets up to the TV at the point where like Kay's mouth is open on the videotape on the audition tape, right up on the camera. So it's like right up on the TV. And, and it, it fucking bites him. Just I, out of nowhere, it just fucking bites him. I'm like, did he just got eaten up by the TV? I, I thought so, a piano was weird. I, I am so tired <laughs> of, like, things getting eaten. Like, of inanimate objects eating things up. Like, Why is furniture dangerous now? Why is furniture and appliances dangerous now? Like... <laughs> Now I have to like watch out for my flat screens just in case they try to suck me in <laughs> and try to like eat me fucking up. I was like, ugh. Anyway, with this, <laughs> it was some wild ass shit, right? So and it eats him like it just starts eating he, all of him and then like burps his remains out. And that was disrespectful. That the most disrespectful thing I've ever seen was the fact that like you're not only gonna eat me up, you're just gonna like vomit my remains and shit. And then with the Re- Reagan doll, just like, <laughs> in the lane. And I was like, this is some fucked up ass shit. And it just like, it lingers too. So just like, it lingers. I'm like, I, 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 mm, I hate it. <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great. It oh, was- no, I, I, I hate that last part because I liked it so much because it was like, it was a great scene. It makes me wonder, Kaufman or Dickerson or that James was, Bond? Dude, that was Dickerson. I feel like. I feel like James Vaughn had the initial, like, idea, like, uh, story-wise idea, because the whole him battling with his fate, his 
uh, crossroads, uh, battling with religion. temptation and religion. I feel like that's him, a hundred percent, because he looks like a like uh, he looks like a, a deacon. <laughs> so I genuinely feel like he had he had this choice. Like I feel like him in real life was K, where he grew up in that place, but became an actor. Met Spike Lee, met all these filmmaker guys, mm-hmm. and those were the temptation, and he actually followed that path. But this was a story of what if that temptation was evil? What if that was the wrong thing? Mm. So I feel like story-wise, that's him. But like lighting and then the the kills, I, I feel like that's all Dickerson. Because that shit is some shit I could see in Bones. 110%. So Honestly, you're <clears throat> right. And I feel like it feels like Dickerson has a natural tendency for horror. Because like with horror and drama, because like between this juice and like bones, it's like you can tell that there was a niche that he wanted to achieve, that he wanted to like really like kind of pinpoint. And with Dickerson being like maybe the one of the earlier faces of black horror, it kinda you can tell this is where he kinda got his start from from James Bond, mm-hmm. the third and the trauma and trauma. So I'm like it kind of, kind of, sort of makes me appreciate trauma. Not really. But no, no, no. I don't appreciate trauma. I appreciate. In this, in I appreciate aspect. them for allowing this movie to happen because I really do. You could because it's even bonded films production. Mm-hmm. Like James Bond the Third made his own production company trying to produce this film, and it just wasn't happening. I feel like Hollywood didn't want this movie to happen, and it took trauma to distribute it. Mm. I genuinely feel that. I feel like at the time, 1990, a black horror movie in the eyes of Hollywood wasn't going to make money. Mm-hmm. And tra- and Troma was the only production I mean, company that di- know, would distribute it. With the history of Spike Lee <clears throat> and Dickerson, like they had to go outside of Hollywood in order to get the, his films made. Exactly. So this really does give indie film. Th- this is like a true, I feel like, indie black horror film. Yeah. And... Trauma being the non Hollywood studio it is, I it really gives that vibe, but it also gives like very like high quality cinematic vibes because of Dickerson's intellect mm-hmm. as a cinematographer, and, his natural talent, yes, yeah. natural talent and intellect as a cinematographer, it works, and I think there's also just a natural bond because I feel like that James Bond really had a lot of help with this because I don't think he this is a, his only film that he's actually like done outside like not an actor so yeah it's his only it's his only directed one only produced one only, only written, written one so mm. th- to me again I feel like he had the story but really as far as like the end I feel like it was a Dickerson and him mm. collab which I like I that was it's also kind of inspiring so we this kind of leads to like that final showdown in in a way. Yeah, because um, you have um, oh no, with his grandma like that's his, that's gonna come up. But no, but wasn't there a scene with his grandma? Where, there was like, se- there were several scenes was, with his grandma. Like she gets visions of uh, the temptress tempting mm-hmm. uh, Joel. But yeah, I was I wasn't gonna bring that up till later because she kind of like shows up out of fucking nowhere. 
Oh, I was going to say, like, but I did like that one scene with the eyes. That Oh, God, that was so creepy. That <laughs> creepy eyes when she was looking at, oh, I miss my baby. Oh, yeah, because he's just like a normal kid, and then, like, the blood starts pouring down those from eyes, the eyes. Though. And then the end where his eyes are, like, fucking wide as hell, and he's got this creepy little yeah, smile. Yeah, that was so creepy to that me. That was pretty terrifying. That was creepy as shit. And so I really like that scene. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the pinpoint where she was like, okay, there's something, there's something wrong. <laughs> but, so Joel, mm. we, we cut to Joel uh, waking up in bed with the temptress. And, but he looks around the room and he's like, wait, this is my old bedroom from mm-hmm. when I was a kid. And Samuel Jackson's back for a couple minutes. Basically, underutilizing Samuel. The Jared Leto of this movie basically no samuel didn't forget where he came from you know but it's only in the fact that they promoted the hell out of samuel jackson it was only here for maybe like 10 minutes okay well yeah that's how that's why i'm saying that you're a little because okay yeah i get yeah but still anyway samuel jackson didn't forget where he came from he didn't forget where he come from he did not at all he came from trauma that's wild fuck you jared leto (laughs) so it's Samuel Jackson. You comes really, in. you really are like bitter about Jared Leto. But we already talked about this multiple times. <laughs> we'll talk about it again. No, we're not forever. No, we're not talking about the fact that he basically did not didn't shout out Bozier except for one time. Well, no, I don't need him to shout out Bozier, but one time. But like, dude, we live in a shithole. You know, we live in a shithole. Help us out, goddammit. it. You have millions of dollars. Help your community out. Help where you came from out. Honestly, I If you're this talented, you know people in the area that could be as talented as you, and you could be helping inspiring artists out, but instead, you're going to fuck around in Hollywood with your Jesus haircut, talking about walk-on-water bullshit. Fuck your song. Honestly, I expect John Bernthal or Jack White to be a bigger help to Shreveport than, you know... Burnthal's here. here all the fucking time. Oh, the Green Power Ranger's here all the time, too. Yeah, he I is. Met, like, I met John Burnthal, like, twice at at work. Yeah. So what's your excuse, Leto? Mm. Final show. <laughs> da, 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 da. Samuel Jackson's da, da, da. back, ladies and gentlemen. Da, da, da. It's the center show off. What? He called him a center. anyway samuel jackson's back and he's like you sinner you 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 uh succumb to temptation and joel's like wait you're not my dad that's it that's about it like samuel jackson shows up for a second and is like you're a sinner and joel's like wait you're not my dad oh yeah you're right i'm not your dad (laughs) it just turns out to be the temptress and then like i think the temptress is basically choking out <laughs> is choking out joel choking him out fucking breaks his wrist <sighs> that hurt that and there's just like just like nothing just like boop. yeah just boop. broken wrist um and she's ba- she's trying to seduce him because once she seduces him she can kill him and boom things are done she has completed her lifelong her mission, mission. Mm-hmm. but da-na-na-na-da! grandma's here to save the day you gonna fuck him, my baby. And I don't know what she was planning on doing, because she did nothing. She was like, get off him, and then the temptress starts choking her out. She just What fe- was her plan? She just felt, out, so, the plan was to save my baby. That was the plan. She, How she gonna do it? Who knows? But the plan was, I'm gonna save my baby no matter what. <laughs> like, that's the, that's the only way, the 
only way that something else could have happened is like i'm just gonna have to do it like she felt something she felt something is off and her suspicions were at indeed correct yeah and meanwhile like like the uh the beast is it's just like basically just a vanister like to the other side of the wall. Oh. And really cool moment was when she has like that hybrid form between her beast and herself. It looked fake, but God no, did thought, it look creepy. I think it worked extremely well considering like this is also I think the most expensive but most expensive but cheapest scene because well, like all it had was that one green light that they're using and they went back and forth between uh, shot reverse shot shot reverse shot it, that light was in the same spot but that shit worked out so well to show off the transition mm-hmm. to her creepy very very just like i don't want it to vomit that well i mean even beast form even like bad prosthetic will look a thousand times better than like decent cgi that was because it, it really bad at all well it, you could tell it's rubber i mean you could tell I mean, it's fake but it looks good for what it is because mm, it, it looks real like the hollowed eyes that was creepy the, dude that that i'm gonna have nightmares about that that was that was good that was mm, a1 that's steak sauce right there right so basically like she transforms into the beast mode and then basically goes right after uh the grandma and choking choking her her out out. with the nails and shit and she's bleeding from the throat and joel has a moment where basically he he chooses like he thinks about what his grandma talked about where like Mm -hmm. when you are uh at a crossroads make sure you look both Both ways. ways and he's like he makes his decision so he goes over he grabs the cross he says a few little uh scripture words and basically banishes the demon and Done. Demon's dead. And I really like the set design in this one because you saw the cross. There was like very uh, shadow play with the cross, and you can tell that that was insinuating his. Bam! His moment was like, "Oh, bitch! He found his faith again." Like he, like his faith meter mm-hmm. went from like maybe like a fifteen percent to like over one hundred. <laughs> yeah, because the cross itself starts glowing, mm-hmm. and then she gets basked, because the whole final battle is uh, donned in red lighting with a little bit of green here and there. Mm-hmm. And he hits her with that cross that starts glowing, and as soon as it starts glowing, all that light goes away, and she is just hit like a fucking floodlight and just starts melting right then and there. And <laughs> it's like, I have the power of God and Jesus on my side. <laughs> <laughs> I rebuke you to pits of hell in the name of the God. We're gonna we're Jesus. gonna go back to JoJo. I have the power of anime and God, God on, on my, my side. side. <laughs> <laughs> and bloodline this bitch. <laughs> and man, that was a great scene because I like the blo- the fact that it just, it just blew up. And the whole, like, negative aspect of it just showed us, like, oh my God, I'm about to fucking whoop. And yeah, I, I they definitely did that for budgetary reasons, it worked, but though. it looked it looked cool. And yeah. then yeah, it that's you can tell feels like the end of one of you know it's is the end of one of uh of Joel's story. Yeah, so like that that that's basically how it ends. Like he he found his fate. Grandma's alive, mm-hmm. and they leave and live happily ever after. And it's like he basically like he faced temptation. 
and was able to stay true, stay strong, stay true to himself in the face of temptation, it unfortunately cost him a couple of friends. Like, you know, some of the people he's been around is dead. Yeah, I really didn't want Kay to die. I really didn't want Kay to die, but he ended up dying. <sighs> but, but that's not the end of the film. Joel may live happily ever after, but for now. But someone else. For now, he lives happily ever after, because mm-hmm. he's still part of that bloodline. And remember, fornicating is a sin, so there's that bloodline's going to die off uh-huh. one day. <laughs> and we get so, to see this cool-ass, like, limo, right? Mm-hmm. And we always see he's a pair of lo- <laughs> loafers, penny loafers, just, like, walking up front. As uh, he walks up towards the front of it, it looks up, and there's... The bartender. There's this bartender dude that looks with the fucking with the demon teeth. Uh huh. So basically, we got a demon uh, limo driver here. So you're like, what the fuck? Is the temptress still alive? Like, what what's going on here? Is the temptress like like reincarnate herself in some shit? So we go to see this beautiful lady that looks just like the temptress, legs and all, like similar outfit and all. Well, actually. She doesn't look just like the temptress, like face wise, but like it, bottom, you, bottom, you, bottom yeah. Half. Well, you get that idea, you because mm. you see the bartender as the driver, mm-hmm. and then it cuts to her. Uh, legs. It, it cuts to the legs, and you're like, oh, that Fuck. bitch ain't dead. Oh, that bitch ain't dead. But then it goes to a regular female, mm-hmm. and you're like, okay, well, what the hell's going on? Woman, by the way, she's very pretty, but very pretty, but she's about to smoke a cigarette. And she's about to light it with a match. But in comes Dougie with oh, a that lighter. Dougie. That ain't Dougie. He come, Dougie comes in with a lighter and says these words. You know, if you use a lighter, the flame lasts longer. Smokes and then blows smoke into the frame. And this is where we end the film. Dougie ain't dead, y'all. <laughs> And honestly, I feel like it gives, it gives like off like, oh, Joel ain't done yet. And it's also like, I feel like this was set up to where if they really wanted to make a sequel, they could. I mean, unfortunately, they can't because one, it's been like 30 some years and Bill Nunn's dead. But, um, well, no, I mean, you could, you could make another sequel. Okay, let's, so reincarnation's a thing for the Temptress. So you could have another body because it's been this long. Mm-hmm. And let's say, like, Joel comes to his senses and realizes fornicating's not a fucking sin, idiot, and has a son. So, but you, you could know, have, a, you could have that, a really long considering sequel. Considering that he's a, a, you know, a Christian kid probably gonna save himself for marriage so but okay that's fine get married and then have a kid you Mm. could have a sequel where's my sequel to this movie uh i don't think it's gonna happen i need one that this would be a good we'll make it happen i am not putting myself anywhere near trauma even if fuck trauma we'll just do it ourselves oh my god (laughs) anyway death by temptation 2 dougie's back (laughs) (laughs) man this was Honestly, the more that you look into it, the more fascinating this film is, considering it's basically a passion project from, you know, one, it's a one-off from, like, one of the uh, Spike Lee's friends, and it, and it's, like, Spike Lee-influenced, Robert Dickerson-infused kind of film, and you can tell that they really want to make something happen, and want to, I want to say capitalized off of horror, but, uh, stylizing this movie as a horror film was a great touch especially considering it was 1989 and 1980s when this uh movie was uh filmed 
and then released in 1990. So I think it was a huge testament to what James Bond the third wanted to do. And one thing that I've noticed about the end credits is like as simple as they were, I saw it was like dedicated to his uh, family. James Bond Sr., James Bond Jr., then James Bond the third. I'm the last one now. <laughs> and it's kind of like, it's almost like a, this whole thing. You just like, you make one thing and you just disappear. You make a great thing and just like disappear into the stratosphere. And we haven't really heard anything from James Bond the third since. No. When it comes to, you know, acting, when it comes to anything. I think he's only been in four films. He's only, yeah. And That's it. One of them is a Spike Lee film. So I was like, We've heard nothing from this dude ever since then, so it makes you want to like, it, it, it's a mystery behind it. What it makes you want to like, what happened since then? And, and it also makes you wonder what could have happened if this got the release, like other films, like the Hollywood treatment. Like if if it would have got the Hollywood treatment, you know, how would it have been received? Because I didn't know about this film until you know researching for black directed horror movies. Um, and I'm actually really glad I found it because, to me, this is the this was the beginning. Because you, you, of course you have black exploitation horror movies, mm-hmm. but to me this was the beginning of modern black horror movies, like black directed horror movies. To me, this is the jumping off point for Dickerson and horror. And then I feel like with Dickerson and horror, that's the jumping off point for uh, Peel and horror. So I feel like if I feel like this film was kind of sort of a catalyst, but also like a a moment where Dickerson said, I like horror movies. I want to keep doing this. And because of that, Peel got his love and his uh, for him to be able to do horror. It feels like a history lesson. And I think that's the best part about it, that it gives like, you know, is history and looking at back at it now with how much. We've seen basically two directors' influence on, yeah, two, yeah, two directors' influence on the state of black horror, and that's it's a name that we keep on bringing up. We keep on bringing up uh, Jordan Peele. We keep on bringing up Dickerson, but it also goes to show how little we have, because out of all of the films we're doing for this month, we've already covered James. Uh, dickerson where we already covered peel so the fact that dickerson was involved with this as well goes to show just how small the market is how small the industry is and goes to show how how much we need to be you know together for making films like this and it kind of makes you wonder was uh you think was bones was the hollywood film like a motion ma- major motion picture or was it like an indie film that got picked up it makes you no, wonder it, that too it it definitely was a hollywood film but it wasn't it was like that early 2000s where like horror movies were cheap and easy to produce and guaranteed to make money mm. so that that's all that was but dickerson he it, he knows his craft he knows his craft so like i feel like it was a dickerson film it was what he was trying to make, but Hollywood saw it as an opportunity to make money, is the way I see it. Where back in the 90s, it horror movies weren't making money because we just had like a buttload of shitty slasher sequels. 
You know, Scream didn't come out yet to revitalize the horror film or the horror genre. So not only do you have horror movies not making money, but a all black cast horror movie in the early 90s of Hollywood. Hollywood's going to look at that and go, no, no, thank you. That's not going to make money, unfortunately, which I feel like. I feel like toned down a little bit, like if it didn't have the the trauma isms, I feel like if this would have been given the the Hollywood treatment, it would have had it would have been a unique film and kind of a new wave of horror would have came because Uh... with Scream, a new wave of horror came. But like me personally, not in a good way, like Scream's really good. But the movies that came after that, that tried so hard to be Scream weren't good Mm. i feel like if this movie would have came out and more movies tried to be like it we could have had some bangers you probably would have but i also feel like if this got the hollywood treatment this film wouldn't been the same oh it definitely wouldn't have been the same it would have hollywood would have changed it yeah and i feel like it would have had its charm like i wish i the only thing i wish is like if they could have gotten rid of a little bit of trauma-isms and just kept the movie that Dickerson and Bond wanted to do, like get Kaufman out of it and just Dickerson and Bond, but mm. like Hollywood left it alone and distributed it. That's what I'm saying. If, if it if it would have been distributed as Hollywood, if, if it would have been distributed as Hollywood uh, would have, just like it was, I feel like we would have had a new revitalized horror genre. Okay, I get that. I get that. And probably would have had a lot more black directed horror movies at this point. I I agree with that. Yeah. Because, I mean, you have this movie, which is highly ignored. You have Bones, which is that Snoop Dogg horror, horror movie. And then you have Jordan Peele's classic, iconic, already a classic Get Out that finally is allowing black directors to have a voice in horror. And and to me, that's just can, so sad. We can talk about next week's film, right? I kind of. I, I mean, yeah, we're we're getting to that point. Um, we're it's almost we're on our final, we're almost to our final uh, film of uh, Black Directors Month. Yeah, and I did want to kind of like I guess lightly touch on it while we're bringing up Peele, is that. With you bringing up, like I said, a new kind of wave of black horror directors, he kind of feels like, it almost feels like it's outside forces because with the next film we're talking about, we're talking about the 2021 Candyman film, and that was directed by Nia DaCosta, but it also goes to show how uh, black female directors kind of like get the shit in the stick anyway because despite the fact that it was you know directed by Nia Costa, it was produced by Jordan Peele and that was used to such an enormous amount to the point where it gives off like if you watch the film you think it's a Jordan Peele film instead of a Nia Costa film well that I mean that's how they marketed it too yeah I mean honestly like I didn't know who the director's name was until looking into it mm-hmm. you just watch in the trailers it says a jordan pill film mm-hmm. or a jordan pill production it's, or what it's just yeah. jordan pills next project or yeah. whatever the fuck it was, also, it was basically like marketed as jordan pills next project which i mean he was making nope and i mean granted he was one of the three writers with nina DaCosta, but but yeah it's like he was involved but it's also like it wasn't ultimately it was 
it should have been her baby. Yeah. And, and it I, really, it, and like Hollywood kind of made it to where it wasn't, it took that opportunity for her to prove herself as not only like a director herself, but like a director in horror. Yeah. Which and, also makes it sad because she had that record of, oh God, what was the record? Like she made like a shit ton of money on this mm-hmm. film. Like the film made a shit ton of money. Yeah. It was a, a but, very highly rated. It was like highly like, uh, money wise, like one of the highest grossing R-rated uh, films by a black director or black yeah. female director. But here's what here's what makes me sad mm-hmm. is that because the film she made is really really good, which I think so, or is it because everyone went to go see it because it's a Jordan Peele film? I don't have to answer that because we all know the answer, which really fucking sucks. Exactly, and I feel like, and I know I'm going to talk about it more coming into the episode because there's a it it shows the misogyny of hollywood in a way but it feels like it was also oh a revi- like a revitalized you know ip based off of this one movie this uh, iconic black horror icon by a almost no name like i'm not gonna say she's a no-name director but like, cause she is big on the festival circuit. Like yeah, festival but she had girl. that. She had that one film. Um, oh, I think little is it little boots. I have no idea. I think it's like it's one something like that. But yeah. she was a good. She's one of the festival girls. So having her like basically, basically almost if you want to be real, almost like a black Chloe Zhao in a way when it comes to her come up, it's it's almost like oh she didn't really get a name for herself until this and that. Um, but yeah, I can talk more about it coming into the next episode. I, there's a lot. I want to talk about it with that. So, yeah. Um, final thoughts? Final thoughts. This movie was fun. A little boring in the beginning, not gonna lie, but dude, when that second half kicks in, I was hooked. I had a good time. I don't know. Like, there was some messages in there as far as, like, faith and religion and stuff like that, but that's really about it. There wasn't a whole lot of substance to it, but... Gorgeous cinematography, mm-hmm. really cool uh, practical effects, uh, and it, it just, again, it was fun, and I've noticed this doing this, uh, this, uh, this month's theme is black directors have a great way of having every single character, no matter how small the part is, have such big personalities. So, I mean, they're all great characters all great characters and i've i've noticed it but i've noticed it before but it wasn't until like sitting here talking with you mm-hmm. and uh talking with our guest wendell last week that i've really put it together in my head that there's not a single boring character in any of these movies that i've seen so just a lot of fun i'd give it like three and a half maybe mm, i'm giving it i'm gonna give it three most because I was almost taken out of it until it got good. And once it got good, I was like, okay, I'm invested. So I'm giving it mine a three. Yeah, like that that first half was a little a little rough to get through. Mm. Um, but no, there's a definite turning point. And once that turning point hits, I was hooked. Well, yeah, for a passion project, this is, you did the damn thing, James Bond the third, And I really hope that, we're out there alive well and hopefully making more films or making some kind of content yeah like i hope you're still doing you know you're still putting your art out there like I, 
if if this is a passion project from you, I would love to see more from you because this was this was unique. Mm-hmm. I, I would say that this was very unique. unique. Yes. And uh, Dickerson, hope- man, make more horror movies. Like I know you're doing the TV thing right now, and that's fine. That's good. I need another horror movie from you, dude. Between Bones, between this, between uh, Demon Knight, I I just need more. Mm. I want you to do more, man. <laughs> gonna at Ernest Dickerson, like, please make more stuff. <laughs> but I, yeah, I think there's a lot of potential with this. And me being a filmmaker, this was also kind of inspiring considering how we as filmmakers kind of get the shit into the stick when it comes to Hollywood, especially back in the day and having to go outside of Hollywood and basically funding our own stuff in order to get the shit that we want made. So as well as well, as much I'm like, nah, if the film was like a solid three and a half is the, the impact that this film may have had on future careers Especially Samuel L. fucking Jackson. Um, <laughs> your impact, the impact of this film is, feels like it's both understated, underrated, but yet so powerful, so insurmountable. And I really appreciate this film for that fact of its impact on the, on the genre and on the industry as a whole. Yeah, no, it, was, it was good. I'm very, I'm glad we picked it and I'm glad we watched it. Um, it was it was worth it. It was really good. Oh yeah. So, but okay. yeah, we we kind of already touched on it. But next week we're gonna be watching Candyman, the remake uh, sequel. Neotic, the, uh, it's, the it's 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 a, it's a sequel because I don't count the other two. The true <laughs> like the way that they're doing C Man as like they they're giving it the Halloween the Halloween treatment. So 2021's Candyman, uh, directed by Nia DaCosta, produced by Jordan Peele. And it's gonna be fun. So tune in. Of course, you we have our social medias. We have everything in a little link tree. Like, subscribe, hit the bell notification. Go to our social medias. We got all the medias of the socials. We we yeah, we're everywhere. Just check us out. <laughs> God damn it. But until next time, I've been Heath and I've been Jay, and this has been Host, Host of, of Horrors. Horrors.